0: Welcome to the Hardy Mom podcast. My mom has tips and tricks to help you live well with health challenges. Your health challenged? Girl, I get it. Feeling anxious, depressed? Don't you sweat it.
1: Hi, I'm Jen Hardy. I'm a collector of eclectic diseases, mom, wife, author, podcaster, and community builder. Go to hardymom.com where you'll find everything you need to start living well with health challenges. Today, I'm honored to interview Christine McAllister. She's a media expert and has been for two decades. She's helped broadcast the Olympic Games. She's produced an award winning documentary for PBS. She's been featured in Inc, Business Insider, Bustle, the Huffington Post, and on over 100 podcasts. In addition to hosting her top rated show called No One's Ever Asked Me That that we're going to talk about I am so thankful that you are here with me to talk to Christine McAllister. And here she is. Hey, Christine. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to have you.
0: Me too. Thank you, Jen.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, we were talking before I hit record about your podcast. And I just have to say that you have helped me tremendously through your podcast. So I'm just wondering if you can tell me, how did you decide to start it?
0: Gosh, well, first of all, thank you. It really is a a passion project, right? I think we we got into these having these conversations for similar reasons. And um, I originally got into podcasting world as a guest. So I was writing and um, blogging, like guest blogging and stuff six years ago. And I also had a newborn. And I was really looking for ways to be a little bit more like leveraged with my time. And I love talking to people And I was stuck in the house, right? Running an online business at home, nursing a baby as we do. And also, I was really intimidated to pitch because I had never pitched a podcast. So somebody, Divine Intervention invited me onto theirs and I totally fell in love with it. And then I was like, okay, did that, didn't die. I could do it again. Right. So I, I started actively pitching podcasts and people told me along the way, you should really start your own. But I had come from a background in media production, like television, sports, broadcasting, documentaries, all this stuff. And so I had a hint of an idea of how much work it was to consistently produce and edit and publish and promote content. And I was like, I'm not I'm not ready for that right now. I don't want to go back into that. Um, so I'm just going to wait until I can figure out a way to do it that feels good and fun and easy. And turns out that was going to be about four more years. So I, I started recording interviews, um, about seven months before I released my podcast. And then I got accepted to speak at PodFest 2020 you and I met at PodFest 2022, which I was in the VIP lounge, which I was so honored (laughs) to get to have a a real in-person conversation with you. And I realized that when I was going to speak at the 2021, and I've been sitting on all these interviews, I was like, you know, it don't make a whole lot of sense for me to have a podcast if I'm speaking at PodFest, right? So that was kind of the impetus that got me over the edge to get it out there. And then it's continued to be Me getting to practice my interviewing, story hearing, story drawing out skills um, ever since then, because that's one of my three favorite things to do in the world.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And it's called, it's called No One's Ever Asked Me That. And it's, I love that title.
0: Thank you. It was, I struggle with names. Like I usually try to overcomplicate naming things, but And I have a marketing background, so that's ironic. But I that was the thing that ever since I was interviewing for documentaries and whatever, that was the thing that people always told me. And so that's and and not in a like controversial way. It's just like a lot of people just ask the same types of questions, or maybe I'm just hyper curious. I don't know. But when it came time to name it, it's not a very descriptive name, like keywords search and all of that it doesn't follow any of that but it's my name and it's my podcast so i like it
1: you can do what you want yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: exactly well and i love i love getting that response to a question too because it means you paid attention you know exactly. so that's yep. good so and there's there's two episodes that i'm going to talk about while you're here um, just because if you're listening i'm going to recommend these two one is episode 63 and it says how to add six figures to your biz but really this is A story about christine and Hmm. and it's a story about you it was it was a story about me so i think if you are struggling with yourself which i know a lot of us are especially when you've got chronic illness and self-doubt and all these things it's a great one to listen to and also episode 60 if you've had trauma it is a nsfw i don't know how how do you yeah is that it episode but um especially if you're trying to explain past trauma to people start at minute 15, and it will help. So I just Mm -hmm. plug for that, because I think, wow. So I've listened to other episodes, but those are the most current ones that just really hit me. And I made notes about them and everything, because they were so amazing. So I just appreciate you taking the time to do things like that. Because it is technically more of a businessy podcast, right?
0: Yeah, totally. I when I started it, I was business coaching. Um, But, you know, I like My business is totally based on relationships. Like I'm a connector. I'm like, I would rather be kind and helpful than anything else, right? And um, while it could be argued that that probably doesn't make you the maximum amount of money that you could make, I it's it. Those are my values, and so that's the, the kind of person I tend to attract to work with too. But it's to me, it's stories. Like stories are everything. And I really believe in this in this medium of podcasting as, as a tool for healing. Like I've seen it so many times talking about my story. The host has a healing. I have a healing, you know, then of course the listeners get to like, it's magical. There's nothing else like it. So thank you for creating a space here for, for healing because I know people are listening because they get hope and help here.
1: You're welcome. Well, and you too, you know, and I think, I think, Some people aren't looking for that connection, that personal connection, but for a lot of us at this point, because everything is so disconnected, you know, Mm -hmm. we text people instead of calling them or seeing them in person and, you know, to have the human behind the story, even if it is a business thing, to know the person, that's so important to a lot of people, you know? So speaking of knowing you as a person, do you want to share a little bit about your story as as yeah. Christine, the mom and the person. And and cool. I know you're a very successful person business-wise. I know you you had a show on PBS that won awards. And yeah. you've done things for like 20 years in the business world. You've had a lot of accolades for what you've done there. But personally, I think a lot of times that personal story does get lost. People don't realize yeah. just because we have successes out in the open doesn't mean we are not having hard times at home. Oh my gosh. And I know you've, you've struggled with some things yeah. at home. And that would probably <laughs> be putting it mildly, but
0: yeah. yeah. So um becoming a mom for me was filled with trauma. Right. So trigger warning around loss and infertility. Um I wasn't sure if I could have kids. Um I wasn't sure I wanted kids. <laughs> um, I, I honestly I thought I, I thought it was going to be a natural thing because I assumed that I would follow my parents' footsteps of marrying my college sweetheart, and then kind of modeling like the the family dynamic that that I saw. And when that didn't happen, and I was single in my twenties, I I really questioned like whether it was something I wanted, whether it was something I could do well. I had a lot of fear, a lot of self doubt. And my partner was absolutely adamant that that we have kids and I was terrified. And then it was like, well, I don't even know if I can because I have PCOS, irregular periods. I sort of found out that I could potentially carry children by having early miscarriages, multiple. And then I used fertility drugs to um, have a perfect pregnancy. Uh, perfect for the baby. I was very, very sick and miserable and had pre, I guess you antenatal, prenatal depression, which I didn't know was a thing until it happened to me. And I couldn't get off the couch and I lost 10 pounds. And like, it was, I was not myself. And um, I went on meds, even though there was a risk because they were like, you can't, you're not taking care of yourself. not going to be taking care of that baby. Like you need to eat. You need to move. You need to shower, right? So that pregnancy was was perfect for for my um, my daughter, but it ended in a full term stillbirth, like unexpected, unexplained. Thirty seven weeks, one of my last appointments. Your baby has no heartbeat. You need to go to the hospital to be induced. And I didn't know that could happen because it's not discussed. Right. I didn't know anybody or so I thought, right? It was every, all the messages are like, once you get past XYZ point, you're safe. And once you get past XYZ points, point of viability, but you're good, right? No clue. So here I am like sitting in a hospital bed on the L and D ward, surrounded by all these happy families, like being handed brochures on like, here's how to plan a funeral for your baby. That was still in my belly. Oh, my gosh. Like, there's just no, no way to describe the strangeness, the shock, the what do I do now of, like, knowing that I was going to have to go through labor and what was going to come on the other side of it, right? And then going home from the hospital without a baby to a nursery and to car seats in the car. I mean, so... I would say that was really the point at which I realized, like, this is, this is my big T trauma. Like, yeah, I've been through other stuff. A lot of it, I was like, I shouldn't deal with depression. I shouldn't deal with anxiety because I compare myself to somebody else who had bigger, harder things, right? Right. Um, but this was, this was the point at which I was like, oh, this is a big deal.
1: Oh, that sounds horrible. I, and to do that in the hospital, I feel like that is traumatizing while you're still pregnant to hand you those. I, I just I think sometimes medical people don't realize what they're doing.
0: Well, and you know what? Like we had we had specially bereavement trained staff. Like that hospital had done a good job up to whatever the evidence based, blah blah blah. But the thing is that like they have to deal with this every freaking day. Like some of these nurses and midwives and docs are the, they're constantly traumatized. You know, they did not get into this because they don't love babies. They do not work crazy hours, right? Like they're there for the prize too, you know? And, and the, the, the mom gets the support in a situation like that because I'm the patient. Right. Well then the whole team has to go home and they have to figure out how to deal with it and put on smiles for their other patients. And like, I can only imagine. So at some point, it's like they have to go through a routine, right? Mm-hmm. Because they got a job to do. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of like the moment where I went. This is my wake up call about how what am I going to do with this? Am I going to make something good out of this, or am I going to sit in this forever? And I understand why people do, and I don't judge them because I could very easily. Um, for me, it was either that or probably like lock myself in a room and drink myself to death, to be totally honest. Oh, absolutely. Because I didn't want to feel it. Yeah. You know, and I didn't Mm -hmm. want that. I didn't want that. Um, that label, right. Um, I didn't want to have to walk around. I want to have to explain it. I don't want to have to deal with being re-triggered. I didn't, you know, I just don't want to deal with any of it. So the only way I knew how to parent her was to do something good and make sure that people knew she existed.
1: Well that I mean that's beautiful. That's a beautiful way of of handling that. But I'm so sorry that you had to go through it though. I really <sighs> am.
0: Thank you. Thank really? you. Yeah, it's I one of my big missions with um, you know, the 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 wealth that I intend for my business to create is to be able to end preventable versions of that because women are walking around with all kinds of stuff like that. And we're not, there isn't great support for it right now.
1: There's not and honest. and actually and and the u s actually has a pretty significantly high mortality rate, which you would think that we're not, but we're one of the worst yeah um and it's it's so it's I just feel like I just don't understand why um, I don't
0: either, do you so, find that you come across like stories of of loss of infertility of you so know. one
1: of my first interviews actually was was about losing a baby yeah because Mm. and it's um and then i had a neighbor who had the same thing she went in 37 weeks it was the same story as yours Mm. exactly Mm. and it was just you know like you said no one prepares you i mean how can you prepare for that it also happened to my mom and it changed my mom Mm. so sorry um she did not do what you did (laughs) and so she she just lived with it for the we we yeah and so, what happened was I paid the price for not mm-hmm. for being the one that was that survived so here, yeah. Because she lost her boy. So, mm. so I think what you're doing is a really good thing because you don't realize that it's it it affects other people as well when you don't take care of it.
0: It does. I mean, either way, it's going to affect other people, right? Like, well, in
1: either way, it's going to affect you. I mean, there's going to be times when you still cry. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously. You know, it's not just like, well, it's over. Right. I think that's the thing with trauma. And culturally, we are non-grievers, right? Get up, get over it. Don't cry. It's going to be okay. Come on. It's been a week. What are you doing? You know? And I think really, yeah, it's been a week. You should should have much more time with that. And then randomly, you know, for the rest of your life, there's going to be things. And I think if we just would hold each other and say, it's okay. Cry through it. Let's get Mm -hmm. through it. Instead of no, just suck it up, we could get through it better. You know, if we could be there for each other
0: more. Agreed. Oh my gosh, it reminds me of um, my my friend, Dr. Amy Hoyt, who you and I have talked about. She taught. She told me that because most of the research around PTSD, which I was diagnosed with after after my daughter Maeve died. is, has been done on um, male veterans, right? Like the folks who founded this field, who made, you know, coined the term, all of that. And that's so needed. And what she told me is that we, we, if we're familiar with trauma responses, we're familiar with like fight, flight, or freeze. Maybe some of us are familiar with fawn, but there's another one and it's flock. And she said, tell me if this feels and rings true, like in your soul, she said, when we were in tribes, the women as a way of protection would flock. They would gather the children. They would put them in the middle of a circle. Right. If there was, if, and, and they just, they, they were together. Right. And I was like, that rings so true for me. Like whenever I am having some kind of a trauma response or I'm going through a really hard thing, I'm just like, I just want my women physically around me. Yeah. Right. And how how can I make that happen? Because there's such a sense of safety, to your point.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I mean, when, like when you have a baby, right, in other cultures, family members come, and it's not just like a couple of days and get up and go out. You know, it's, they take care of you, and they cook for you, and they let you sleep, and they do all these things. And here, I think we have that mentality of, well, no, women back in the day would have a baby in the field and keep working. And that's what we're supposed to do. And maybe some people did, but That generally is not how it goes everywhere, you know. And I think I love that flock thing because I had not heard of that either.
0: Isn't that cool? And it's
1: well, and it's so important to build your flock, yeah, you know, so that you have them before there's a problem, yeah. Because if you wait till there is a problem, it's hard to get people to rally around you because they don't know you and know how to support you yet,
0: right? Right, yeah, and I think. That's one of the things that I love that you're kind of, that you're modeling with having your community, right? Because a safe space, like that doesn't, you don't just have that when you move into a neighborhood, right? You don't just have that built in, in a new place, or maybe, you know, your friends from high school, if you're still in the same town or still doing the same thing y'all did in high school, right? (laughs) Like you, you need people who are like you, and who are non judgmental and who are supportive. And a lot of times that's not our longest time friends or even our families, you know? And so to be able to cultivate that and, yeah, know that you are like held and loved somewhere, like I think that's a beautiful thing that you're doing.
1: That's my goal. And, you know, in a place where you can go and you can say, oh, this is hard, right? But then everybody isn't swimming in that. You know, so yes, you can be honest because there's not a lot of places you can be honest either, right? Like today is hard. I want to give up, right? How many times there's not a lot of places you can say that, but then, uh, but then other people are saying, I've been there and this is how I got through it, or this is what I did. And, you know, because we just, we need that. Like you, when you went through that, you know, just have other people because you feel so alone because we don't talk about that. Right But I bet I'll bet that once you started talking, you found out there was a lot of other women that had gone through the same thing.
0: I did. I found out friends moms had. I found out about a retreat center for parents who've lost a child. That was like probably the most healing thing that we did. Um, and I and I to your point, I found spaces of people who um, just wanted to sit in it or weren't able to move move in any direction. Um, And I was like, I, I, I'm in a different spot. Like at some point that doesn't become helpful because we're telling the same story every week and we're not working on what we can choose to change, even if it's the way that we look at life. Right. And I think that was, it really cracked me open to mindset work. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I mean, at the highest level, like rich dad, poor dad on CD, you know, Um, but not really going into like, how do I, I can take full personal responsibility for my life. This isn't a, one of the most unhelpful things that a doctor told us was like, he quoted a verse from the Bible and he said, you know, you'll see her in heaven again, like one day. And I was like, well, cool. I mean, great. I'm excited about that. But what is, where does that leave me for the rest of my life on earth? Right. Right. Like you can, you can choose to have hope and you still got to figure out how to wake up and get out of bed and brush your hair, you know? So I think looking at a more empowering way of living, you know, it was helpful for my survival.
1: Yeah. Well, and doing something in, in her name, right? Like we're going to do this for her so that she does live on through whatever, through the X, whatever X is. Right. Yeah. So that, it, because I think that's another thing that people are like, well, just don't talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Right. Well, may, it, then I won't talk to you about it, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to talk about it because this is still, yeah. you know, still my child. So
0: It's a reflection of like their uncomfortability. Right. If, that, if that's a word, I mean, I would have been the same way. Like, cause I would have been uncomfortable to talk about something that I think people feel like they need to fix it and there's nothing you can do to fix it. And so once you know that it's like, cool, I can just sit here and let you cry. That's fine. Right. Cause I, it's not on me to fix anything. Nothing I can do or say done.
1: Well, and I think that's um, a good lesson though, just to to share too, is that if somebody's going through something, you don't have to know what to say. Right. You can tell the person, I don't know what to say, but I can listen. And and that's really, I think, the best thing you can say in a lot of different situations that are hard.
0: Totally, just be there. That's it. Yeah. Don't, don't bail. because yeah. m- most people will. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. you'll you'll you get to find out who has the capacity, and then you know make a new group of, of friends who only have known you since, and don't wish for the previous version of you back.
1: And then you grieve that loss too. I mean, that is, that's another hard part of going through something like that is, is the loss of, of the people that you thought were there. Yeah. But the great thing is you have the people that really are there. And I think there's a gift in that. If we can focus on that being the gift, it makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you've done
1: that. I mean, it's 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 an amazing thing
0: that you like like you, like, you know, I went, okay, how can I resource myself? How can I if this is if I'm gonna be rebuilt from this ashes, these ashes, right? Like like a Phoenix. Okay. Who do I who do I want in my life? Like some of that was my choice, some of it wasn't, but who am I gonna be? And then who, who's going to come in as a result? Who, who like actually likes the real me, not not the person who was codependent, took care of everybody else because I was supposed to be nice because I was people pleaser because I was supposed to be good. Not that I still don't deal with all that stuff now, but, you know, there's a lot more of a like choosing who I'm in the room, who gets into the room, right? Because they're safe. Yeah. You know, because they can handle it because they've done their own work. And not just walk and trigger, you know?
1: Right, right. And, I, you know, it's it's funny, because that's one of the things that I'm going through right now, too, is, you know, the people that, because I'm a people pleaser, I want to make everybody happy. I want to do all the things for all the people.
0: Mm-hmm. And it has
1: led to me getting really sick and having a literal stroke. So now I cannot, and it's not my job. It is not my job to make all the and and I cannot make all the people happy. So... You know, I can make the people happy that are going to make me happy back and let the other people do their own thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yep, that's a hard lesson. I think we are so ingrained. Um, I'm undoing a lot of generational things. Um, as the first woman in my family to do a lot of things that were not safe to do terms of running a business in terms of being you know financially independent in terms of making more than a very small salary in terms of not being you know very poor which a lot of my ancestors right and like I can feel that in my body whether you want to call it DNA or just what's been modeled like it feels unsafe it stops me a lot you know which is why like continuing to work and recognizing that those are the things holding me back. Christine's not afraid to work. I love work. I love my work. I've designed it that way. Right. But I'm going to sabotage it. Like you and I were talking about, if it doesn't feel okay. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we're we're living those messages, you know, and it's funny, it's not like, like schizophrenia voices in my head right but it's the voices from the past in my head yes. that tell me all the bad things and you know those voices just have to you know you just somebody told me they had a little um a little it's a little stuffed animal thing that they actually put off to the side but they put it on their shoulder and it's it, well they call it a bad word but the shoulder wench is what I call it and I t- you know and it and it sits there and you and you then you see it off to the side, and you think, okay, that's what's telling me, right? So you you can externalize those words, and yeah. that you just can look at it and say, okay, those words are coming from somewhere else. They're not. They're not my words for myself. Yeah, they're someone else's words for myself, and they're not. They're inaccurate. So I don't have to listen to those anymore. And I thought that was a really healthy way of doing it. Because then you can start externalizing those negative things and they don't become your own self-talk. They become lies from a little ugly thing that's sitting on the (laughs) windowsill,
0: you know? I love that. Yeah. Being able to name it and go, that's not me. That's, you know, whatever, monster or, you know, like trying to take me down. Then, because we do identify, oh, if I have a thought, it's me, right? Right. But.
1: And those words aren't me.
0: No.
1: Because I'm not the one who I'm not the one who said that first. You know. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now you have kids Mm. in your house.
0: I do. I have two living daughters. They're three and six.
1: Oh my gosh, Um, that age. I think every age is so beautiful. But that age is like, they're just like coming into themselves, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. It has been very, very rocky for me to, between, you know, health challenges they have had, health challenges I have had with them little and all the things. Um, it has, it, you know, people say that starting your own business is the best personal development that, that you could do. But one of my many therapists said to me that she has never seen, um, someone be able to do the depth of work on themselves that momming requires, just by running a business. She's like, there's no substitute for it. And she was a medical doctor for years. She has like, you know, seen it all, right? And she's yeah. like, Mm-mm. it's momming, momming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you learn so
1: much about yourself, don't you? Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And all
1: those things that drive you nuts in your kids, you're like, oh, that's because I do that. I yeah.
0: Right. They're yeah. one of the wisest things one of my friends said to me was like, they are little mirrors. They are little mirrors. And if you can look at it like that, it becomes a whole lot less annoying. Yeah. It's <laughs> true.
1: That is true. I know, you know, it's funny because when I wanted to start homeschooling, my second daughter, she and I, but she said, I'm not, you know, I brought my first daughter home and she, the, my second daughter said, well, I never want to homeschool. And I said, that's okay. Cause I don't want to homeschool you because we, our personalities just clashed. And I was talking to somebody who was homeschooling their four kids. And she said, you know, but that's not about your daughter. That's about you. And you need to fix that in you. And then everything's going to be fine. And at first I was mad. I was like, well, that's stupid. Don't you know, but then within a few months, she was asking to come home and homeschool. And it worked out really well. And so, you know, I think that is a good thing to know is that, yeah, they may have a personality that you think you're going to clash with forever. But sometimes if you do like the mirror you know, you look at it that way, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, maybe I can make this stop before things get really rough when they're teenagers. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. It's so wise.
1: Oh, oh no, it's not mine. <laughs> it's not mine.
0: Like I said, I really appreciate what you are doing because the reality of, of momming day in and day out, especially when you have some kind of an ongoing health challenge, you know, um, I, I got long COVID last year and it crashed my adrenals and my neurotransmitters and i couldn't do anything except sit under a tree in my backyard and cry and i thought i was dying because i didn't know what it was and that made it even worse right because the fear yeah um but you know i i think that there are not enough and this is why you do this right there's so, there's so much need for safe spaces for moms to be real about the challenges versus what at least in my experience, what culture has said about what being a mom should be. I definitely don't fit most of the models and norms that I saw growing up. And I have carried a lot of guilt and shame and self-judgment about that, you know? And then when we're dealing with a health challenge, that's a longer term one, then like, of course, it's too. It's so easy to should or worry about what we're not doing. You don't feel like we're able to do, you know. And I think one of my life lessons is like learning to be instead of just doing for everyone to the point that I've lost myself. It has definitely been part of my story. I think it's really easy to do as moms. Um, and so I guess I just want to share that because. Like this, this, this role that we have, this job, this, whatever you want, calling all the things is like, it's so consuming. And I don't think that we're taught or have modeled for us how to properly like care for ourselves, especially in extenuating circumstances, like illness, long-term illness. So I just, I, you know, might look a certain way because I have a business. Right. But I. I want to thank you for this and really like normalize, you know, that it's it's universal. And like the more we talk about it, we take the shame, we take the stigma, we take the whatever perception out of it. And then we can all, you know, grow together and heal together.
1: Oh well, you're welcome. You know, and I think, you know, I when I was when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I was the first one of my friends to get pregnant, and then everyone's like, "Oh, well, you're a mom, and we're not moms." So you know, there was kind of the separation, right? And then I was, I stayed home, and then so I I knew people that worked and had kids, and they're like, "Oh, well, you are you judging us because we work?" And you know, then I felt jud- that they judged me, right? And then I pulled my kids out of school, and then there was this, "Oh, you think you're better because you home." You know, no, I just want to homeschool my kids. I don't think everybody should homeschool. I really don't. And I feel like as women, there no matter what we do, it's wrong to a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that's where we really need to start. Yeah. Just stopping that judgment. It doesn't matter. Because if you stay home, right? You had guilt for staying home, you were for working. I have guilt for staying home. I don't, you know, because I didn't provide money. Right. And in my family, it, it was really pushed that you should work. And I didn't, so and I was I was a failure that way, right? And then you know the whole homeschool, and I think it's just sad, you know, like you're saying, you, you feel so judged and you have all this guilt, and we do. We need a lot of safe spaces everywhere, just for women to say it is okay. Stop, mm-hmm. just stop, just love each other, just for being women, you know. And and so one of my questions for you is how when you weren't feeling well. And you had this business and you had these girls at home. What Mm -hmm. were some things or some methods that you used to get through that and to get things done when you didn't feel good? Because I know what I do, but, you know, everybody does things a little bit differently. Maybe you'll help somebody else.
0: Yeah, Um, I think it was to resource myself. So that same really smart therapist told me. Um, what I shared earlier, she shared with me that like, when we open, I have a little sticky note on my desk. It's been here for a long time. It says when we open up possibility, it decreases depression and anxiety. And so when I'm sitting in this like blinders on tunnel of like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't stop crying. What if I have to, what if I lose the business? Like I can't even take care of my kids, but I look fine on the outside. Like I'm terrified. I don't know. Where, like, as opposed to going, all right, What, what appointments can I get on the calendar? What tests can I have run? Like, what things can I try? Like, how do I move myself incrementally? Like, how can I talk about this? Right. Because in, in, in the particular long COVID case, like I didn't know it could cause mental health challenges. I've dealt with depression, anxiety for a long, Like since I was a teenager, I have never experienced anything like that. And no one was, everyone was talking about how it made you cough if you had long COVID, right? So, so resourcing myself, even mentally, because then it gave me hope, right? And um, I think emoting has not been a thing I've been great at because, you know, you don't do that. Emotions are behind closed doors. It's like, mm-hmm. but, you know, what I had modeled and um, letting it out. I mean, silly stuff. Like I have Googled, why is it good for you to cry? Why is it healthy for you to cry when I can't stop crying? And then I read an article from Harvard and I'm like, see, Harvard says it releases endorphins. It gets cortisol out of your body. I'm like, just right. Like it's, I think dark humor too. (laughs) Actually, I found myself using that a lot. And then I bought the HBR book, Harvard Business Review book on resilience, like their top articles. And one of them was like the most resilient people use dark humor. And I was like, see, <laughs> right. So, so that, and um, I mean, doing a lot of processing, right. Okay. Worst case scenario. What if I lose the business? What if I do, am I going to be Okay. Do I think I could build another one? You know, what is the actual worst case scenario that comes out of this? Can I deal with that? And then it's not this murky thingy. And I've done that more than once, right? It's not this murky thing. My brain trying to drive me somewhere or that mean voice trying to drive me somewhere out of fear. It's like, do I believe I can still figure this out? Well, okay, then. Right? And sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes I'm like, well, I'm here. Not that like I would choose to be here in this way, right? But what are we going to do with it? What story are we going to tell?
1: I love that. And, and breaking things up into little pieces. And I think that's another thing as women, right? We have all the ideas in our heads at once. And we think we have to solve all of the things at once. But to yeah. say no, just tell yourself No. What is one issue I'm having right now? Okay, I'm going to solve that one thing. And that that's okay. It's okay because tomorrow I'm going to solve another thing. Right? And that's 365 issues solved, which seems overwhelming when I do it in one week. But it's not one
0: day. It's so true. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think
1: that's, that's a really healthy thing and for people to hear, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. thank you. Well, I think I think we'll end there, and we can always talk another time because we have so much more we could be talking about. Yeah. And I really appreciate you just being vulnerable and honest and open. I really do. I know that you're in a space that you probably don't talk about these things very often. And so thank you for being willing thank to do you. that here.
0: Thank you. Really, thank you again for the space, and it's it's so important. So I'm honored to be able to contribute.
1: Oh, thank you. Christine has so many brilliant things to say. I think some of them are um, learning to flock, find our flock. I thought that was brilliant because women don't always fight or flight, right? I know when I'm really going through something, I want to hunker down and surround myself with women who can help me and love me and get me through it. That's always my first instinct, And it made me feel really good to know that studies are showing that it's not just me, right? It's, it's us. It's what we want to do. And that's, that's why I want to build my community. Right. And the other thing is just solve one issue at a time. If you feel like you've got problems being flung at you, like baseballs from a pitching machine, just catch one at a time and solve it and let the rest go for now. Because tomorrow's another day. Thank you again for sharing this time with me. If you like this episode, I recommend you check out episode 62, The Secure Relationship with expert Judy Manano. I look forward to talking to you next week.
0: Party mom podcast. Yeah, I'm here for you. <laughs> Tips and tricks here that will help you. There's advice from experts in interviews. Find time to be with your kids and family. I can help you get it done easily. So premenopausal or postpartum, all stages of womanhood, girl, we've got 'em. I've been there, I've done that too. With a hearty mom podcast, yeah, I'm here for you.